Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. If you will, open your Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And I would encourage you to take your Bibles or a pew Bible tonight. The, the verses, uh, the text themselves will not be on the screen. And we'll be looking at several that pertain that each one can read and study along together. It is wonderful to be a part of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. I'm reminded of that as I travel other places, but I want to tell you what I'm hearing more and more often. And, and I don't say this, you know, to, to brag on us in a prideful sort of way, but I want you to know that your work that you're doing here is touching a lot more than just the Mount Juliet community. Uh, Tuesday at the Fried Hardman Lectureships, I was teaching a workshop, and the workshop was on teenage evangelism. And we were talking about how not just reaching one, but what youth groups could do to reach many. And in this workshop setting, of course, there's comments being made occasionally, but at the end, the last five or ten minutes, I said, let's just wrap this up with, with questions, comments, concerns. And various comments were being made. And some of the idea that we had talked about of leadership, many of the guys were saying, we haven't really thought about it this way. This is challenging our thinking. And one a uh, young man, uh, an adult, one uh, man sitting on the very front kind of turned back to the, to the rest of the group and he said, I don't know if any of you have ever visited Mount Juliet Church of Christ's website, but if you want to see how deacons can be involved in active leading of uh, various ministries of the church, he said, it is very impressive. And he said, well, we're going to church, we're studying their website, and we're trying to see what we can do to better involve the members uh, through, through uh, having our deacons lead in a more effective way. And I thought, that is amazing uh, that, that other places are seeing how diligent our deacons are and, and the, the weight of responsibility they carry. Uh, two Sunday nights ago, an eldership asked me to come over at, at 4.30 on a Sunday evening and meet with them, and we talked for an hour and a half, and the thing that they wanted to know the most was about our deacons. How is it that those deacons are able to accomplish so much? And, um, and of course, talking to the elders had to begin with strong eldership. You can't have strong deacons without a strong eldership. And, uh, and then being willing to rely heavy upon those deacons. And, and then the congregation uh, supporting the work as a whole. Let's be humble. Let's be faithful, and let's continue to all carry our load and pull in the same direction. And I believe that, that we can do great things for the glory of God, but let's make sure that we keep striving for, excellent because, for excellence because He is excellent, and He deserves our best. He deserves our all. But uh, those of you, especially that are deacons that work so many hours, your work is not uh, going unnoticed, uh, not just here, but across uh, many parts of the United States. If there was a bus outside that on the side of it said, Heavenward Bound, and literally the announcement was made right now, would you like to go a one-way ticket right now to heaven? I know in theology and in doctrine that's not correct. I'm not illustrating this for that purpose. I'm talking about right now your desire. Would you go and board that bus right now if you could go to heaven right now? You know, I've talked with individuals that call themselves faithful Christians that say, I don't know. 
You know, there, there's still some things here that I want to do. There's still some relationships here that I want to share in. There's still, and the excuses go on and on. Really, we need to stop and ask ourselves, do we really want to go to heaven? And if we had the opportunity right now to board a bus to heaven, would we be reluctant to board that bus to heaven? Maybe if we were a little bit reluctant, maybe it's because we don't realize what is on the other side. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that we can paint uh, a very clear picture of everything about heaven. And I know that there are many things, surely, that we do not know about heaven. But there are things that are revealed to us. Some of them are very simple. Some of them are very profound. But there are things about heaven that I believe, if we fully understand these, we'll have a heart that is starving, that, is, that is, has a very diligent desire that says, I want to go to heaven more than anything else in the world. Just to illustrate it. Have you ever been invited to go on a trip and at first you really didn't want to go on the trip because you could think of many reasons why you should not go on the trip? Maybe it was responsibility at home. Maybe it was cost. Maybe there were sacrifices that were going to have to be made to go. Maybe because of relationships that you felt might suffer, etc. But then, as the people told you more about the trip, it was like the more you learned about it, the more you said to yourself, I think I do want to go on that. I believe I can work this out, and I believe I can work this out. And they tell you more about it, and you say, I believe I can work this out, and I can work this out. And next thing you know, you really want to go on this trip, and you've worked out everything else. I believe we'll make the sacrifices. I believe we'll give the commitment. I believe we'll invest the heart and the life that's required to go to heaven if we really understand what is heaven all about. There are six questions we could ask. Tonight, we'll look at least three of those. But before we look at those questions, I want us to read one text together before as we think about Abraham as a man that was waiting for heaven. Let's read Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Let's read verse 9 and 10. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited... For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You run upon this man Abraham that no doubt was a wealthy man, but God asked him to leave his land, leave his home, leave his people, and go and dwell where he would tell him to dwell. And so for years, Abraham moved about, as we would call a pilgrim, just going through, living in tents, and finally making it to the promised land. But even when he reached the promised land there, you could say, Abraham, are you at home? And he says, no. Well, what are you doing? He says, I'm waiting. Abraham, you've been here for years. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for that city. Not a man-made city. Man didn't dig this foundation. I'm looking for the city that God dug that foundation, and God is the maker of that city. Tonight, can we honestly say we live our lives as if we're pilgrims here? Because we are. We're just passing through. Someone says, that seems like a, a wasteful way to live. You're just pilgrims, you're just passing through. Oh, you haven't heard the rest of the story. We're waiting for something. We're waiting for heaven. First, let's ask the question, what is heaven? Look, if you will, to John, the 14th chapter. You might want to hold your finger here at Hebrews. We're coming right back here. But first, let's go to John, the 14th chapter, and let's read three verses that you may have heard many times. And be thinking about the first answer, what is heaven? Number one, it's a place. In other words, that's the way Jesus described it. It's a place. Let's read this together. The 14th chapter. This is on page 955 of your pew Bibles. Uh, 1, 2, and 3 of John 14. 
Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. See, that's what Jesus called heaven here. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there ye may be also. So here, even though I know it doesn't give us a lot of detail, the point is this. When Jesus described heaven at this time, He described heaven as a place. In other words, it's not just a wish. It's not a whim. It's not somewhere, something where like sometimes we use the expression, oh, that's hopeful thinking. It's not that kind of doubtful existence where we say, I I don't know if it's really there or not. Heaven is a place. It's a place that's prepared for prepared people. In other words, there is room. There is space there for existence. So first off, when we think about what is heaven... It's a place. Let's go back now to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and read verse 10 again. And and note, this is one we just left. Another way it was described was a city where he said of Abraham, for he waited for the city which has foundations. And so with that, not only do we have a mindset that it's a place, but it seems to be a place that's prepared for many, many people. We think of a city as not being a single dwelling place, but a place for many people to dwell. But then as we go a little deeper, Hebrews the 11th chapter and verse 16, it's called a country. Notice as we read verse 16, But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Now, why one time does he use city and one time country? It may be this, city is talking about the place for many. But you know, country reminds us of the idea that every king has a kingdom. And so it lines up with there's the territory, there's a place for the soul to exist with its God. And so it's beautiful when we think of this summary of this point. It does exist. There is a place called heaven. Now... We ask this, where is heaven? Well, drop back with me to John the 6th chapter. In John the 6th chapter, we're going to read verse 38. And in John 6 and 38, we're picking up in the middle of a paragraph here. But notice what is said. He says, for I have come, now this is John 6 and 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus said He came down from where? Down from heaven. So that tells us this. That tells us for sure that heaven is up. Just one more illustration of that. In Acts the first chapter, in verse 11, who also said, this is when Jesus ascended, it says, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, if you will, be turning to Matthew, the sixth chapter. And as we're turning to Matthew, the sixth chapter, we'll make a few comments about heaven being up. You know, sometimes when you study the Bible and you study spiritual things, there are some things you just can't pinpoint exactly. I wonder how many of you have already thought of this scenario. If up to us right now is this way, what is up to the man standing in China right now? Well, that kind of... Makes us think a little bit, doesn't it? But it does tell us this. Heaven is not on earth. It's not some kind of regenerated 
earthly existence. Heaven is up. Also, it tells us that heaven is not in the earth. It's not down, because that would point to the same direction, no matter which part of the world you're standing on. You see, the point is, there is a place that's not on earth that is heaven. It is up from the earth. Now, another thing that we think about heaven is one of the best parts of heaven, and that is, it's where God is. When we read in Matthew, the sixth chapter, you'll remember the first few lines, the first phrase there of the Sermon on the Mount. You remember when he says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, how would be your name? When we think about where is heaven, not only is it up, but it is the place where God exists. But we also know, Philippians, the third chapter in verse 20, it's the place where God or Christ will return. Now, we just read in Acts, the first chapter, that same thing. But I'd like for us to read from Philippians, the third chapter, in verse 20, because he's going to link together that place, that citizenship, with also the idea that that's where Jesus is going to return from to collect us, to deliver us back. And here's how it said in Philippians, the third chapter, in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. So, let's pause here for just a moment and even interrupt this point. We're kind of a little bit off text here, but this is worth making. Right now, we dwell on earth. But the question is, where's our citizenship? Our citizenship better be in heaven right now. Because those are the ones that's going to spend an eternity in heaven, those that made their citizenship heaven while they're on this earth. We can't wait to the day of judgment and live a life against God here on earth and then on the day of judgment say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I've changed my mind. I want my citizenship to be in heaven. Then it's too late. We make our citizenship heaven while we're on this earth. And so this is what he's talking about in Philippians 3. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the transformation that Christ will make of our bodies when He comes. Beautiful passage here that speaks a lot about heaven. First, we saw the citizenship is there. Next, we see the idea that our waiting should be eagerly. Again, just to drive the point home, something is wrong with someone that calls herself a Christian and says, well, I don't really want to go to heaven yet. Paul was eagerly waiting for heaven. I believe when you and I understand what heaven is and what is waiting for us there, we will join other faithful Christians in saying we're eager to spend an eternity with God. But the point here is that's where the Savior is coming from. So it's up. It's up where God is. It's up where Jesus is. But let's close this point with two more really beautiful points that really drive home application for you and I tonight. Turn over a few more pages, Colossians the third chapter. Colossians the third chapter. We've been studying some very important facts, but this one is really going to bring it home to our life that we really test ourselves to say, am I doing what I ought to do as it pertains to this subject of heaven? You see, I need to ask myself, do I have a devotion, an affection in my heart already set upon heaven? That's the way it's described in Colossians, the third chapter. He's talked about in the second chapter in verse 12 and following about being baptized into Christ. And now he says in the third chapter in verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above. You see, that already is making reference to heaven because we know that heaven is above. But then he says, where Christ is. Well, we already know that's making reference to heaven because we know that's where Christ is. Setting at the right hand of God, we know again that's heaven because that's where God is. Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. So, verse 1 says, seek those things. He's saying, seek heaven and the things that pertain to heaven. And then he says, set your mind on those things which are above. Well, what about heaven? What about heaven? Heaven's where God is. Heaven's where Christ is. What are we supposed to do? Seek things of God. Seek things of Christ. What are we to do with our minds? Set our mind upon the things that are of God and the things that are of Christ. If you sit down and just, just really bore your soul, nobody else would know. Just you. Just you. Would anything really be in the depths of it about how eager you are to go to heaven? Lord, I've been seeking on a daily basis those heavenly things. Lord, I have set my mind upon those heavenly things. I think often about spending eternity with you. Lord, I have, have just tried to imagine what it is to stand before your throne. Lord, I was thinking about that yesterday. Lord, I was praying about that last week. How much time do you and I spend setting our affections seeking those things that are off this earth. Things that are up. Friends, that place exists. Heaven is, is more real than what we're experiencing here. Because heaven will last for an eternity and this is just a, a temporary bleep in time. How much time have I spent seeking heaven? You know, it may be the times that I find myself off track. It might be that I could note that those are the same times that I've kind of ignored or neglected the idea of heaven. Now, somewhat similar to this, back up, if you will, to Matthew, the sixth chapter, and we think of another aspect of heaven when we think about, well, where is heaven? Heaven needs to be a place that my devotion is. Uh, maybe we don't think about describing heaven. Hey, somebody asked us, where's heaven? That's where my heart is. Can we honestly say that? That's where I'm seeking. That's where I, I'm diligent to go there. I want to be there. But then also, can we say, that's where my heart and my treasure is. You remember this passage probably. Look here in, in Matthew the 6th chapter. Let's read 20 and 21. Now, it said back in 19, to not set our heart and our treasure on this earth because the thieves will steal it or the, the moth and the rust will corrupt it. And now we read verse 20 and 21. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And of course, in Matthew the 6th chapter, much of this chapter, if not pretty much all of it, is about stewardship. And so especially are we talking about our possessions. Now I think it's fine to make application about our time, about our abilities. That's good application. But here he's talking about especially our money. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. 
And so the possessions that we have, the finances that God gives us, what do we do with them? Can we honestly say, I've been sending treasure to heaven for a long time. And you know, I sacrificed so much to send that treasure ahead. My heart's there. Where's heaven? It's where my heart is. I've been sacrificing on a weekly basis for years. That's where my heart is. Have you ever thought about the fact that one reason, I'm not saying the biggest reason, by no means am I saying the most important reason. I think the most important reason is being the presence of God. But have you ever thought about one of the neat things about heaven's going to be to see those treasures that we laid up the whole time we're on this earth? You take the average Christian, and I'm saying average meaning the average length of time lived, the average amount given over a lifetime. Do you realize if someone's a faithful Christian for years, for their lifetime, by the time they've died, if they would have taken that same money and put back in an IRA, that would have been millions of dollars. Now, a lot of people would look at that and say, wow, that's a treasure on earth. Well, this, this auditorium right now is filled with individuals that they haven't held on to that treasure. Since you were a young adult, you've been given 10 or 15 or 20% every week. You've been doing that every week of your life. You've given hundreds of thousands of dollars already to God. Now friends, we're not making this up and we're not saying what if. God says you have been laying up treasures in heaven. That's a beautiful thought. That's a lot of sacrifice. That's a lot of commitment. Where's your heart? Where your treasure is? Where do faithful Christians put their treasure? In God. Where's heaven? It's up. It's where God is. It's where Christ is. It's where faithful Christians' devotion is. And it's where the treasure is. Let's look at a final point. Not only have we asked these two questions, but let's ask, what is heaven like? Of course, we can't know every detail of this, but there are a few things that are revealed to us that do inform us of some ways that heaven is like. We'll spend this time in Revelation. If you want to go back to Revelation, the 21st chapter, we see, as we read here, I don't know of a better way to describe it than to simply say it's a place of wonder. Let's just scan some verses together and just notice how these are things that it's hard for us to grasp exactly what is meant by all of this and how to imagine even what all this would look like. But we see as we begin reading in Revelations 21 and verse 4, and this is on page 1102 of your pew Bible. Look at verse 4, he says, For God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There shall be no more death. Imagine a place with no funeral homes, no cemeteries, no bidding farewell, no sorrow, no crying. There shall not be... Uh, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. 
And then we read in verse 7 a beautiful, comforting thought. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And so here in this place that's just so wonderful, God says, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to count you as my family. And we're going to spend this existence together. And in verse 12, we see that there are 12 gates there. And in verse 14, we see the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And verse 18, it says, And the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And it lists every layer of the twelve precious stones. And in 21 it says, The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. Can you imagine a huge gate and it being one pearl? And in 23, The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of all those who are saved shall walk in its light. Isn't that wonderful? All the saved walking under the illumination of the glory of God. And then in 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Friends, that's just a few of the highlights that's mentioned in the 21st chapter. I don't know about you, but the first thing that I, always comes to my mind when I read this passage, I just can't imagine it. The wonder of heaven is, is so awesome. But also notice the glory, which we've seen it here, but drop back to Revelations, the fourth chapter. In Revelations, the fourth chapter, let's notice as we see here a scene of worship, but notice where this scene of worship is, and, and we're going to kind of, you'll see that this second and third point here run together even on your screen here. But notice this scene of worship in the first verse. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven, and the voice, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. And in the following verses, we see the throne, and we see the one sitting on the throne. And notice in verse 4, Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they were, uh, had crowns of gold on their head. And look at verse uh, 6, we see four living creatures also participating in this scene. And look at 9 and see what they were doing here. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. What's heaven like? We see that mixed in all of these passages are scenes of glory. It's a place where God is at the center. And all of the attention and adoration is praising the God who has blessed us so richly. Let's close with one more scene, and let's see here as we go to Revelations, the 19th chapter, let's see another scene of worship. The 4th chapter and the 19th chapter are tremendous insights uh, to some heavenly scenes of worship. And it's laid out very similar. Here in the 19th chapter, we see again uh, the 24 elders mentioned. But let's go back to verse 1 and notice what is being said. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia! 
salvation, and here's the word glory again, and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. And in verse 3, again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rises up forever. And in verse 4, and the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down, and they worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. What's heaven going to be like? We know one thing for sure. It's beyond our imagination. And this place that is beyond our imagination has a center and a focus that is upon God, and God receives all the glory and honor, and that there is worship taking place there. Friends, when our heart is set upon God, we long to adore God, to pour out our adoration, and to worship Him. And we'll look forward to heaven. Have you ever heard anyone say there's some people that probably wouldn't enjoy heaven? Does that strike you as odd? You know, from these verses we've just read here in Revelation, I see a lot of people every Sunday that don't enjoy going to worship. At least they don't go. There's a lot of people that don't come back on Sunday night because they don't enjoy worship enough to do it twice in one day. Can you imagine folks that, that think it's too much to come to worship one or two times a week? Spending an eternity adoring God? You see, if our heart and our devotion is not set upon heavenly things now, we won't experience that heavenly devotion then. Heaven. It's a beautiful place. It's a place for prepared people. And it's a place for those that adore God and want to spend an eternity with Him. We have to live on this earth. That's the way God created it. We can't live as if we're not here. We are here. But we need to make sure we keep our focus right. We're living here as a pilgrim, just traveling through. With our affection and our heart, set upon heaven. Tonight, if you've never made your commitment to Christ by being baptized into Him for the remission of sins, won't you do that tonight? Maybe you've already done that, but yet somewhere along the way, your heart's lost its focus. It's so easy to do because we are here, and there are a lot of things that can pull us to the left or to the right. There's not a perfect, perfect person here tonight. Only those that have either been forgiven or not forgiven or haven't reached the age of accountability. Tonight, if you fall in line with those that haven't been forgiven, don't leave here that way. Christ died on the cross so that you could come to know that peace that passes understanding, and so you can set your heart on heaven above and dwell with Him for an eternity. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing. My.